The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. It's an hour of soaptastic fireworks with funny lady Suzanne Wong. Today on Soap Central Live. What's happening this week on your favorite soap operas? It's time to talk about all the daytime drama on Soap Central Live with Dan J. Kroll. Get ready for the latest soap news, scoops, recaps, and interviews with your favorite daytime stars. Now, here's Dan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Soap Central Live. I'm your host, a Yankee Doodle Dan Kroll. We'll sing a song later as we go to the credits. Thank you so much for taking some time away from your barbecues and cookouts to join us here this week for Soap Central Live. The show airs every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And speaking of Voice America, they're off. As you may be aware, it is July 4th. The studios are closed. I'm sitting here alone in the dark, working hard to put this week's show together for you all by myself. Okay, so maybe that's not really the case. This week's show was pre-recorded well in advance of the July 4th holiday. In fact, it's an interview that I've been sitting on for a couple weeks now, but I thought that this was uh, the perfect opportunity to bring it to you. I had an opportunity to sit down with funny lady Suzanne Wong to talk about her incredible life experience. You may be thinking, Suzanne Wong, Suzanne Wong, the name sounds familiar, but I don't know what soap was she on. Well, she isn't actually a soap star, though she did have a brief role as a bitchy wedding planner on General Hospital. You may remember she had scenes with her real-life friend Vanessa Marcel back in 2011 for Sonny and Brenda's wedding. But Suzanne Wong is otherwise known to a lot of people for her work on House Hunters, the HGTV series where folks go in and try to pick one of three houses that they want to move into or rent. Suzanne's story goes beyond the soaps and it goes beyond house hunting. She is a three-time cancer survivor. She had a life and death struggle that really made her think about how she was living her life. And I thought, what better day than Independence Day to talk about getting that independence back to getting to a point where you let go of all of the negativity, all of the things that may have been hurting you and your spirit and your physical form. So that is the topic of today's show. Suzanne Wong is an overachiever. She also was an underdog trying for a primetime Emmy nomination this year for her work on From Here On Out. That is a little-known series on Here TV, which is the same company that produced this year's Daytime Emmys pre-show Red Carpet. You may have heard a little bit about that. But this interview with Suzanne is inspirational, it's moving, and I do want to let you know before we get into the interview, this interview does contain some frank discussion. There may be some topics that some listeners find slightly uncomfortable. There are also one or two words within the interview that 
may be bleepable. We're leaving them in for the purpose of this discussion. And I hope that you enjoy my interview with Suzanne Wong. Hello, this is Dan. Hello, this is Suzanne Wong. Hi, Suzanne. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm even better now that we've finally had an opportunity to connect and talk. I'm looking forward to this. Me too. So, I I mean, I kind of want to get right into an amazing story. Normally when I talk to people, you know, I say thank you. It's a pleasure that you've taken some time out of your schedule to, you know, chat with me. And, And I mean that truly and sincerely, but for you... It's amazing, Suzanne, that I, that you're here to be able to talk to me. I mean, it's such it an amazing story, such a, a powerful story. Let's talk about that a little bit. Tell the listeners who are listening to the, to the show, what do I mean when I say that it's a miracle that you're here with me today? Well, in 2006, I was doing a self-breast exam and I found a tiny lump in my left breast. And I went and got it biopsied to make sure it was just, you know, nothing fibroid cyst. And I got a phone call from my doctor about two weeks later saying, uh, your test results came back positive for breast cancer. And I said, wow, this is going to be great material for my stand-up comedy act someday. And she said, what? And I said, well, haven't you heard tragedy plus time equals comedy? So this is going to kill and I really meant that. It was so absurd to me, the whole conversation. And she says, uh, you need to get here right away and schedule a surgery. She, she didn't have any sense of humor about it whatsoever, <laughs> which sort of made me laugh more. When I find something funny and somebody else gets more serious, it, it makes me laugh even harder. Anyway, and then I said, are you sure my boobs are so small? How is that even possible? Do you want to retest? And she says, no, you need to come in here. So anyway, I got a lump back to me. And I researched chemo and radiation while I was recovering from the lumpectomy and sort of decided that that wasn't for me. And this is a long story that would take you, um, you know, probably three hours to really hear in its completion, but I'll, I'll, I'll cut to the chase. Basically, I had breast cancer three times in six years Jeez. because, like most Asians, I'm an overachiever. What, what? Hello? <laughs> Can't do that just once or twice. I'm going to do it three times. I'm better than all of you other cancer people. Yeah. And the third time it went to stage four, and if you don't know what stage four cancer means, there is no stage five. Stage five is you're dead. So stage four means it metastasized. So it spread to my skull, my sternum, my left and right breast, my lymph nodes, my back, my hip. Yeah, it was it was everywhere. Um, so at that point, uh, all the doctors were basically saying, oh, wah, 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 sorry about that. <laughs> Get your affairs in order. Uh, one oncologist told my best friend that I had about six months wow. left to live, and that was three years ago. So, and I didn't do any research about the statistics of surviving or reversing it because I think that believing in statistics is the opposite of believing in miracles and I believe in miracles. So I and besides, to me statistics honestly are just numbers about what other people created in the past and don't have to necessarily have anything to do with my present and my future. Because let's face it, anybody who's ever been the first at something, any pioneer, any inventor, if the Wright brothers had looked at statistics to determine whether or not to try to invent an airplane, they would have thought, oh, well, it's not possible. It's never been done before. It can never be done. Yeah. Right? So I basically just, uh, I, I, ch- I tried Western medicine and Eastern. I did some alternative, holistic, illegal 
controversial treatments. I, I changed what I eat and what I drink and what I think. I traveled to Italy. I, I actually learned a bunch of life lessons and spiritual lessons. And the culmination of my entire wacky journey is that I, quote-unquote, miraculously reversed stage 4 breast cancer and am now completely cancer-free. Which so is amazing. that I'm alive. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's very... Uh, interesting isn't, isn't even a begin to accurately display, but, you know, a lot of people look at things like this and they'll say, you're obviously here, Suzanne, for a reason. There's a reason that... Yeah this went the way have you figured that out yet or do you are you still on that journey absolutely figured it out i have absolutely figured it out and because i finally figured it out because i didn't figure it out the first time i got cancer or the second time i got cancer it took the third time and it took stage four because that's how damn stubborn i am Hmm. right there were these life lessons that were right there screaming at me but i was so stubborn that i refused to listen until i was absolutely incapacitated and horizontal in my bed in my house for three months unable to do anything for myself I had had um, multiple surgeries on my left breast I had had back surgery hip replacement surgery I, I got about six weeks of radiation I did an oral form of chemotherapy called Goloda which is much less toxic and it doesn't make you throw up or make all your hair fall out um, it's interesting about the Zolota because it comes in pill form, right? And it's supposed to reverse cancer in the bones. And on the label it says that it's perfectly safe. But it also says in the instructions that you are to wear your safety goggles and rubber gloves oh, when geez. handling the pills. That sounds like Drano. Uh. Yes. So I'm thinking, wait a minute, you don't want me to touch the pills with my skin of my fingers or get it anywhere near my eyes, but you want me to then eat it wow. and swallow it? So, And by the way, I understand, I guess, wearing the rubber gloves, right, so it doesn't touch my skin, but why am I wearing safety goggles? Are you afraid that I'm going to start aiming for my mouth, but all of a sudden at the last second, oh, try to stick it in my eye? Because I'm confused. <laughs> it was all so surreal. Anyway, after doing all of this, I was I was really dependent on other people. And here's here's the main lesson that I life lesson that I learned. And I think that it was a combination of many things that helped me get better. But one of the main things, in my opinion, is that I have spent my entire life, and every woman I've ever talked to who's had or has breast cancer can relate to this. I had spent my entire adult life up until this moment of getting cancer, saving and fixing and rescuing and helping and, you know, being fairy godmother and superhero to everyone else in my life, showing them how much I love them, doing everything for them, saying yes when I meant no, sleeping about three hours a night, overextending myself, giving, 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 saving, rec rescuing, fixing, right? That's that's what I did. I put myself, no, I actually didn't put myself last on the list. I wasn't even on the list as far as priorities go. I would eat crap, junk food. I wouldn't drink water. I didn't meditate. I, I just didn't take care of myself at all. And when you are incapacitated in bed and you can't get up and move from the bed to the bathroom to pee, unless somebody helps you, guess what? I thought, okay, so my choices are pee in the bed or ask somebody for help and tell them what's going on. 
it took that something that drastic for me to go, okay. And after five years of basically being in the cancer closet, I decided to finally come out of the closet. And I did a press release. I did an NBC News interview. And I, I started posting about my journey on Facebook. And it was astonishing what happened. I, I found out that every single person that I thought was my friend in L.A. really was. All of them came rushing towards my house, ecstatic to help in any way they could. And they started to tell me that I had been jipping them out of half of a friendship, and, and it was about time that I let people know when I wasn't doing okay and I needed help. And I said, what do you mean jipping you? And they would say, when we're not doing well and we need help, we tell you and you rush in and love us back to life and you know how great that feels. When you're not doing well, you don't tell anybody. We don't get the joy of rushing in and loving you back to life. You're, you're really sort of not doing us any favors by not letting us in on what's really going on with you. It's, it's not fair. <laughs> and I never thought about it that way. In Asian culture, it's considered tacky and, I don't know, low class to let anyone know you have problems or to air your dirty laundry in public, and it's considered disgusting. And I finally realized that we are only as sick as our secrets, and that secret that I was keeping and figuring, I'll just plow through on my own, it'll be fine. Well, guess what? It wasn't fine. I wasn't doing fine trying to do this on my own. And I had fans from all over the world an outpouring of love and support, and also I went 500 grand into debt, and I got a lot of financial help, people through fundraisers for me. People came over to my house, Dan, and I wonder if you had a similar experience when you went through your trauma, but, like, people came over and and brought food and mm. and told me jokes and sang songs and brought over funny movies and, and scrubbed my bathroom floor and walked my dog, and it was just, it was unbearable at first to just let myself stay still and receive all of that love but that's when I finally started to get better it's amazing so I'm having was- this this incredible light bulb moment and listening to you and, and, and applying it and sort of my mind went to there are times where I think gee why doesn't anybody you know ask how I'm doing to the sensor why is anyone doing this and I realize in listening to you is that if you're telling people everything is okay if you're not telling people that yes. something is bothering you, they're not going to ask if there's anything they can do for you because you're not telling them that, and that might be me. That's, you know, I exactly. always wonder. That's Exactly. I, I've always been the, I, I'm fine, I got it, I got it, I'm fine. And the truth was, I wasn't fine. But if I keep presenting myself as this person who's got it all together all the time, never vulnerable, never has a problem, I'm not a real person. There is no human being that always has everything go great for them. It's just not possible. And so I was so glad that I sort of broke through my old toxic habit of making sure every, everyone else was okay and being some sort of codependent martyr and just breaking that and saying, no, you know what? I'm not doing okay and I need help. And I was, I was so pleasantly surprised to see what happened. It was like the cancer experience cracked my heart open and and literally right in front of my heart was where the tumor was 
the initial tumor, and then it came back, and then it went away, and then it came back, and then at one point it was like a grapefruit-sized tumor in between my two boobs, so it looked like I had three boobs, like that woman in Total Recall. <laughs> Remember that topless woman in Total yes. Recall who has three <laughs> boobs? That's what I looked like. And so I got the middle one, the middle boob, the tumor, removed, and then the site where they had sewed it up, like the hole where the tumor used to be, it got infected, and then oh, it opened up, leaving a crater where my left boob used to be. And I regrew part of it with this stuff called extracellular matrix powder that's made out of pig bladders, and that's a whole other crazy wild story. And it worked, except now my left breast blinks, but that's okay. <laughs> anyway, so I, I have I basically have a crater right in front of my heart, and if that makes sense, it's like now now there's a there's a crater, there's an open. Do you know what I mean? There's an mm-hmm. open space, and if that's not a great metaphor. I don't know what is, and I really feel like any woman who has breast cancer, breasts, the breasts are about nurturing. Breasts are made for nurturing, for providing nourishment and nurturing, right? Anyone with breast cancer, it tends to be that the issue is that the nourishment and the nurturing has not been going back towards yourself. Hmm. And so my journey has been I don't think that I was put on the planet randomly. I think that I was put on the planet to have life experiences and then write and speak and blab about them. And I did I did a lot of writing and speaking and storytelling and stand-up comedy about my journey with cancer. And that's the laughter was so healing as well. And a lot of people were so jarred by it, including the doctor who first told me the diagnosis because... People are saying, how could you How could you joke and laugh about that? And my response is, how can I not? If I don't, then I really will die if I act like this is so serious and dire. You know, and so I just, I just decided that I was going to die eventually, but not from this, not now, and not from this. I think it's such a powerful message for anyone who is listening to, you know, do that self-evaluation, to see what it is that you're unhappy about and then find out what is it that you're doing to perpetuate that. If it is, if you're thinking you're always doing, doing, doing for others and no one's doing for you, like yeah. Suzanne said, have you done anything to tell people that you need something? Uh, yes, and, and to put yourself on the list. Make yourself top priority. I realized I was giving from an empty well. I ended up resenting the people I was supposedly helping, secretly, secretly resenting them, you know, secretly just being so exhausted and negative about it, and I wasn't really helping them. You can't give from an empty well. It was my job to fill my well. There's this expression, resentment is like drinking a glass of poison and waiting for the other person to die. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous, right? The it people is. that we resent, most of them don't know or care. They're just living their lives. The only people that are suffering are the people who are resenting. So I just needed to stop resenting these people that I was quote-unquote helping by giving from an empty well. By doing what? By filling my own well. That way when I'm giving, I can give from my overflow. The concept of giving from my overflow so that I remain full is a meta... Like, I love thinking in metaphors, I'm a very visual person. The idea that I can fill my well and then give from the overflow so that I have plenty to give to my friends and family but that I remain full is what keeps me healthy and sustained. And now I meditate every day. I eat an organic vegetarian diet as much as possible. I drink a lot of water. I laugh a lot. I create. 
I I say what I mean. I surround myself with, you know, with people that I really love, who really love me, and I have incredible loyal friends. Speaking of which, one of which is Vanessa Marcel, who uh, we became best friends on the set of NBC's Las Vegas. She was a series regular, and I was supposed to come on and do, you know, one tiny funny part. And because she is who she is, she had talked to me before we did our short scene and found out that I was a stand-up comic, and we really had an affinity for each other, which I thought she had with everybody. Um, and then after we were done shooting the scene, she says to the director, hey, Suzanne's a stand-up comic. Why don't you give her a free take? Let her improvise a take. Oh, wow. Scene. And he said, oh, okay. And so I'm thinking, wait, what's happening right now? The beautiful female star of this show is letting me be even funnier on the show? I mean, that, that just does not happen in my experience in Los Angeles. So he says, sure, great, go for it. So I proceed to go on this crazy diatribe. I play this character named Polly, who is the spa manager, manicurist, massage therapist for the Montecito Hotel and Casino that James Kahn's character owned. And I, my, my character is very inappropriate and outrageous and overtly sexual. And so I just, I just went nuts. And by the end of it, the, the crew guys were standing on their feet clapping and cheering and people were crying from laughing so hard and because of that experience Vanessa got uh, got it in her head that I should become a recurring character mm. so unbeknownst to me the next day after I left the set she kept thinking of ways and going to the writers saying this is where Polly would be great in this episode and in this scene and next thing you know four seasons later wow. I, I've been a recurring guest star all because of her and the way I got the part on General Hospital when Vanessa returned as Brenda was because she thought, well, who would be a better psycho wedding planner for Sonny and Brenda's wedding than Suzanne? <laughs> it's nice when people think of psycho wedding planners, you know, that, they, that your name comes to mind. I love that, right? Because she knew that I could have fun with, you know, being a complete bitch on the show and that we would have great chemistry because we would be basically adversarial on the show, sort of how we were, she played my boss on Las Vegas, and we were, you know, like the very first episode that I was ever on that I thought was going to be my only role on the show, um, she comes to my character Polly and says someone had uh, complained that I had overcharged this woman for her bikini wax, and I say, no overcharge, she hairy like a man. I have to go all the way around corner, clean basement. I lift up a sheet, look like a jungle. No overcharge. And this is like this crazy, ridiculous character who's talking about some woman's, you know, hairy bush and how horrible it was to wax it. And that's how our friendship began. And Vanessa, I mean, she, she and I basically became inseparable from that moment on, and she drove me to every cancer treatment appointment every wow. day for a year after Las Vegas got canceled. Wow. And she would not want anyone to know that because, you know, she's not the kind of person that gives in order to get acknowledgement or credit or glory for it. So it was so much fun, too, to be in General Hospital because when I was in high school, I watched all my children one life to live in General Hospital in that order every single day, every single weekday of my life in high school. Jeannie Francis, who played Laura, sometimes goes to my spiritual center in North Hollywood, and sometimes her brother, 
um, would play guitar in the house band. I mean, I, my life has become so magnificently surreal, including because of Twitter, of all things. Uh, Vanessa and I were bantering back and forth because we like to... Am I allowed to curse on this show? or should Sure, I get the curse? go for it. Okay, okay. So, <laughs> so Vanessa and I... Um, we love each other, and because this is both of our dark, twisted sense of humor, the way we talk to each other, people think we hate each other, but that's, those are our terms of endearment, like, <laughs> hey, whore, hey, asshole, hey, fuckface. Like, you know, that's how, that's how we talk to each other, and people think we're mad at each other or we're enemies, and that's just, you know, that makes us feel known and loved, because obviously we don't really mean that. Anyway, Vanessa and I are bantering back and forth on Twitter, like, fake insulting each other. And all of a sudden, William Shatner decides to intercept our conversation between each other. And he basically commenting on something that I had just said to Vanessa, saying, wow, people say I'm mean. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, what's happening right now? Right? So I say, no, no, you've got it wrong. I'm the nice one. Vanessa's the mean one. In fact, I don't want her to be my maid of honor at my wedding anymore. How about you? Will you do it? And he tweets, sure, as long as you get me a dress that, with matching shoes and it all has to match the color of my eyes. So I say, you know, done. And so I, and he goes, do Manolo's come in my size? And I say, uh, you know, let me check. And then I, I write down, you know, I find out that his eyes are hazel and I find a, a picture of hazel-colored Manolo's. <laughs> I post on Twitter, how about these? Will these do? And he says, perfect. And... Anyway, it was just, it became this crazy thing about how he was going to be maid of honor at my wedding because Vanessa really was the maid of honor at my wedding last October. And so, anyway, talk about surreal. So now, um, William Shatner and I are buddies on Twitter and occasionally tweeting back and forth to each other. So he likes to tweet, I don't know if you're ever on his page, but he likes to tweet things like, today is National Chocolate Cupcake Day. Yep. Hey, everyone, it's National Chocolate Cupcake Day. Or, you know, tomorrow is going to be National Mashed Potatoes Day. It's always a food, right? So I write to him, hey, Bill, good morning. When is National Kimchi Day, which is a Korean spicy dish? And he tweets back, I never look ahead, which is hilarious. <laughs> I, I write, would you ever look at this? And I put a link to my character. I'm, I'm on a new sitcom called From Here On Out, which is on Here TV, which is an all-gay cable subscription network. And I have this crazy part called Divina. And I have a highlight reel of my scenes. And I put a link to that. I go, would you ever look at this? And I'm actually an underdog on the ballot for potential Emmy nomination as Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series for this little sitcom that no one has seen. So I wrote, I'm an underdog for this crazy role in the sitcom that no one has seen. And about 15 minutes later, he tweets, Crazy Divina, which is my character's name, with an exclamation point and a wink and a smile. I'm thinking, oh my God, he watched it? And then he, you know, tweets about my character being crazy and my name. And then I realize he has retweeted that link with my highlight scenes to his 1.85 million followers. What is happening right now? My life, is, my life has gone from, oh, you're going to be dead in six months from stage four breast cancer to William Shatner is retweeting your highlight reel of your scenes from your new sitcom to his 1.85 million followers. That's crazy. I mean, what goes through your mind when you see this? I mean, it, it's got to be crazy. crazy. It's crazy. But you know what? My, uh, the truth about miracles 
to me is that, that there, in a way, nothing's a miracle because I think that I really believe that my my attitude is what makes my life, my thoughts and my attitude, and the way I live my life, and the actions that I take, and the faith that I have. You know what I mean? That if I, I'm just a good person and I, I have a positive attitude and I take actions towards that, that that everything will go my way. And that's basically what happened with the cancer journey. I also miraculously got Oprah Winfrey to do a show about The Secret, which was this DVD that someone had recommended that's all about the law of attraction and quantum physics. I sent it to her. It turns out I was the first person to send it to her, and I got to fly to Chicago and go to the taping of the show and meet her and meet all the panelists from The Secret. I mean, and the, the likelihood of all of that is very small as well. To, to mail something to Harpo Studios thinking that she's going to get it and that she gets it and that she hasn't seen the movie before and I'm the first person to send it to her. There's a whole long story about that. But, but so, honestly, now it's like I feel delighted when things like this happen, but I'm no longer surprised because... There's nothing surprising about it. It's just, I feel like everyone is capable of experiencing miracles and having their dreams come to fruition. It's just a matter of getting the bullshit out of the way that's between you and the miracles, if you know what I mean. Getting the fear and the blame and the resentment and the pessimism or the the anger or whatever it is. Just, just handle it and get it up and out of the way. And I- so... Yeah, I guess if if you can't believe in yourself, what can you believe in? Right, and that you're the only person who decides that. You're the only person who chooses the thoughts that you have in your head and your attitudes and your opinions and your beliefs. A belief is just a repeated thought. So if you have a belief that you don't like, then you can just choose a different one. I mean, tell me about your journey. You were brutally attacked, and, and you could have seen that as, you know, an excuse to just pack it all in and you know, give up on everything, but then it it turned you into, it turned a corner for you in a way that has become, I mean, do you see it in any way as this crazy blessing because of what happened in your life? I mean, when I read that article, it was so funny that when you were talking about TV reception in your dorm and Channel 6 was so grainy that it looked like Susan was sleeping with Benson. Kind of, it did. I was screaming with laughter and that something that you were passionate about turned into your career that probably wouldn't have happened if you hadn't been attacked. No, that's exactly, that's what I wrestled with for quite some time of... uh, you know, being asked, oh, how did you get started? What did you want to do before? And I'm so, you know, I wanted to be a doctor. And then to wrestle with something that is the worst thing that's happened to me, to being a victim of a, a random assault and potentially being left for dead, to finding out that that event is what has led to everything that I'm doing in life from my career to having my home, to you know having the current friends that I have, it's it's a very it was a very difficult thing to to try to uh, quantify it for a long time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, and also when you come so close to death, I mean, I feel like we're part of this club, and it's really hard to explain to anybody who hasn't actually experienced it. They might understand intellectually, but I don't think that people quite understand that that when I wake up each morning, it's like, wow, cool. I feel like I'm in the bonus round of my life because I was supposed to be dead. 
So that feeling of carpe diem, that feeling of gratitude, that feeling of look at me, I'm alive, I'm vertical, I'm actually pain-free, finally. Mm-hmm. I'm able to use all of my limbs. I mean, there was a time when I thought, you know, this is this is it for you. I had back surgery and hip replacement surgery, and I thought, oh, you're never going to be able to walk around normally or dance again. Dancing is one of my favorite things in the world. And, and anybody who's just now meeting me, seeing me out at a party dancing, would have no idea ever that I had been through what I had been through physically. And I also chose not to get my left breast fixed because now it looks, it's, it's asymmetrical and there's scar tissue and it's weird and it's, you know, it's, it doesn't look like the other breast at all. And some people would say, oh, it's mutilated, it's deformed, you need to get that fixed. And I, I never even considered it because I realized that I can redefine what beauty and femininity and sexuality is for myself. And there's something sort of beautiful about what I've been through and what I've learned from it. And I have no need to get plastic surgery to make it look a certain way that would be, what, appealing to other people. And I have a miraculous story about the man that I'm currently married to, and he he thinks that my body, exactly the way it is, is the most beautiful thing he's ever seen. So it was just a, it was a revolutionary thing for me to decide not to get it fixed. And I even did something that I never thought I would do in a million years, which was to do a topless photo shoot because I thought to myself, if I, ah, if I could really get myself to do this, um, I have a female friend named Carolyn White who is a photographer and she's a wonderful photographer and so I already know her and trust her and she's female. And it, if I can have a friend of mine do my hair and makeup and, and maybe like start out by wearing a jacket but maybe no top underneath and you know, eventually see if I'd be willing to let the jacket just fall to either side so that my arms are covered and I was wearing yoga pants. And You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. maybe I could do this. And if I could do this and have a look on my face that says, you know what, I'm still beautiful, that that could be really powerful. And it wouldn't be pornographic. It would be political. It would be a social statement, you know. And so I did it, and I was really happy with some of the pictures, and I actually posted a picture on Facebook, and I also wrote an open apology to tit cancer that was satirical. It was like I was I was mock apologizing to cancer, and it, was, it said, "Dear tit cancer, I'm sorry that I made fun of you at comedy clubs. I'm sorry that I evicted you from my house. I'm sorry I got a restraining order on you. I'm sorry my friends and family bullied you. I'm sorry I still look beautiful even with my left breast looking like this." And, by the way, I'm sorry is Korean for suck my cock, and I find it love Suzanne. <laughs> and I had the, the topless photo accompanying it. And it went viral. And then on Facebook, Facebook took it down because of course. a policy about pornography. And then Wendy McClendon-Covey from the Goldbergs and from Reno 911 and Bridesmaids, she, a friend of hers is somehow a friend of mine, so her friend saw the thing on my wall get taken down and... And that person had sent, had already sent it to Wendy, and so Wendy was furious that Facebook had taken it down. And she wrote a whole brilliant rant about why they should put it back up, and they did. And then so Wendy McClendon Covey and I became friends because of, because of that posting, because of Facebook. And she, which is just miraculous again, 
of course, she, as Beverly on the Goldbergs on ABC, is also on the ballot for potential Emmy nomination in my same category. So <laughs> I voted for her, and she voted for me in the category of Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series. And, I mean, just the fact that that... And she says to me, Suzanne, if we both get nominated, I'm buying us matching outfits. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't want to see that, right? Yeah, really. So, yeah. And then the, the most recent miracle, um, in addition to this crazy, I mean, you know, everyone's saying, Suzanne, you're never going to get an Emmy nomination because in that category, and no one's seen this show on Here TV, uh, even though half a million people have seen it on Here TV's premium YouTube channel, not very many people have seen it on television. And, you know, the Emmys are basically about people used to, you know, they're voting for mm -hmm. what they've seen on television, right? So people are saying you'll never get a nomination, but people also said to me, you know, you'll never get uh, better from stage four cancer. And, you know, I'm also, I'm currently 250 grand in debt, so I don't have any money myself, and here TV doesn't have money to put into a huge promotional and marketing campaign, and you know very well that, you know, it has so much to do with the money that you have to do promotion. So all I've been doing is my little grassroots sort of social media, being as many friends of mine over the past 25 years are in the TV Academy and can vote for me. And I just won't let it deter me from, uh, you know, giving it my best shot. So anyway, the most recent thing that's happened is that a man who I've been friends with for 20 years named Jay, who I was secretly in love with from the moment we met in 1993, um, We've been actively friends for 20 years, but he was married, and I always had a boyfriend. And then three years ago, he and his wife split up, and then a year after that, he confesses to me via a letter written completely in French, sent by email, that he has been secretly in love with me since the moment we met 20 years ago. Wow. And, I mean, what? It was just like a crazy dream come true, something that I never thought would happen, and we got married in October of last year in Manhattan on the Upper West Side at the Church of St. Paul and St. Andrew, which is where we met 20 years ago doing a play on the second floor at the West End Theater. And it's just, again, I'm 51 years old, and I just married the love of my life. Hmm. Well, there are so many takeaways from talking with you. There are so many things for people to... Uh, think about in themselves. I mean, one that really stuck out when you were mentioning about people who would see you now on the dance floor dancing, they have no idea what you've been through. And I think yeah. that that is a lesson for everyone, is that you don't know the person that you're looking at. You don't know yeah. when you go to the store. You don't know what that person has been through. And I think keeping yeah. that in mind can really change the way that we interact with each other. It can, I mean, it sounds sort of maybe trivial or trite, and, you know, you can make a difference. But I really do. I think if you approach things that way, not knowing what other people have been through, it really does start Absolutely. to really does start to make a difference. Each individual can make such a big difference. I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to mention one more thing about my wedding ceremony. So, first of all, my favorite funny movie of all time is The In-Laws, starring Peter Falk and Alan Arkin from, I think, 1979. And it turns out, and I didn't know this the whole 20 years that I was just friends with Jay, that it's his favorite funny movie yeah. of all time. Wow. So our wedding was themed 
I don't know if you've seen the movie, but our wedding theme was the movie The In-Laws, which is just absurd. It's this ridiculous comedy. It's this over-the-top Peter Falk is a CIA agent and Alan Arkin is a dentist and Peter Falk's kid is marrying Alan Arkin's kid. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. So we, we had this madcap insane wedding. But one of the things that I wanted, um, when Jay and I first met, we were doing a play called My Sister Eileen on the Upper West Side. Um, and it's set in the 1940s. And my character, Violet, wore this very specific dress that Jay remembers and because he loved it. And I remember it because I loved it. And neither of us care anything about fashion. So the dress that I wore 20 years ago when we met was a bright yellow dress, 1940s style, with short sleeves. It was knee length, and it had a and a ruffle, and I also wore a black pillbox hat with a black mesh tulle veil to play my character. And he remembered that, and he brought it up when we first started a romance. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing, because this is my second marriage, I'm feeling like I wear a white dress who's a virgin. I never understood that anyway. So I thought, okay, what if I could find something even remotely like that dress, and I would surprise Jay? and try to find something, like something that's yellow with black polka dots, something that's sort of, you know, reminiscent of it in some way. So I went to vintage stores in L.A., and I would walk in and say, Hi, do you have a 1940s dress that's bright yellow with black polka dots and short sleeves and knee length? And they look at me like, um, no, crazy person, get out of here. And so I, I, I didn't know what else to do, and I, I looked at different websites, you know, for department stores, and I couldn't find anything. And then a friend of mine named Kelly Ebsery, who's an eBay expert, um, she had helped me sell red carpet gowns that I had worn um, to make some money to help pay my bills, all my cancer medical bills that were not covered by insurance. Anyway, I sent her an email just telling her briefly what I was sort of looking for, um, and if she found it, let me know. And within 30 minutes, she emailed me back, and it was just a link. There were no words before or after it, and I click on the link. And guess what it is, Dan? It's an eBay link to not a similar dress, but to the exact dress that I wore 20 years ago. It had made its way to Georgia. It was an extra small 26-inch waist. It looks exactly the same, black patent leather belt. Wow. It's 120 bucks. so I hit purchase immediately. I'm shaking. I'm thinking, what is this possible? And it takes a few days to arrive, and I'm thinking, this can't be, right? I'm going to open it, and it's going to be, you know, some purple pantsuit. It can't be that this is really what's happening. And three days later, sure enough, I open it and I put it on. It fits like a glove. I start crying. I'm like, this is the dress. This is insane. I have a cast photo from 1993 and I looked at the the pattern of the black polka dots. Do you know what I mean? Like on the dress. And it's the same pattern. I mean, it's just uncanny. So now I'm so excited. So I went and bought uh, black hose with the seam up the back and black character shoes and little black gloves. And all I all I really needed to complete it was a black pillbox hat with the black mesh veil, right, because I wanted to do, you know, do the whole thing. So I'm thinking, okay, where am I going to find that? So then I get, I'm not kidding you, I should just, I should just cut and paste this Facebook message. I get a Facebook message um, right after receiving the address um, in the mail from eBay. And it says this, Dear Suzanne, my name is Sherry. You have no idea who I am, 
but I'm your biggest fan ever. You have no idea what happened, but you saved my life. Eight years ago, I was stricken with Graves' disease. I went completely blind in both eyes, and I was in bed feeling suicidal. My teenage daughter would bring my laptop to the bed and play my favorite show for me, which was House Hunters on HGTV. I couldn't see your face, but I could hear your voice. And whether you realize it or not, your voice is very soothing and healing, and it brought me so much joy. It got me through the worst time of my life, and it prevented me from killing myself. Then she says, I have now fully recovered from Graves' disease. I've regained all of my sight, wow. and I have started a business that is my dream come true. I custom make bridal hats, headpieces, and veils. I saw on Facebook that you're engaged. It would be my honor to custom make something for you for free. It's the least I could do for saving my life. Love, Sherry. Wow. I mean, what? What, when you read that, I mean... What do you, what goes through your mind? What must you feel? That's got to be. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm just overwhelmed. I'm I'm thrilled. It's it's just confirmation that first of all, everything about my relationship with Jay has has been magical and miraculous. The New York Times covered it. I can I can send you that article. I mean, it was in the Vows column, but. It's just confirmation, like, oh, I have this great idea. It would be so romantic for me to find a dress that's similar and try to find a hat that's similar. And and, and I had no money. Who gets their wedding dress for 120 bucks and their veil for nothing? I mean, it was just the kind of thing where I feel like when you're on a divine path mm-hmm. that you were meant to be on, the universe just keeps conspiring in favor of it. I agree. And when... You know, and when you're doing something that you're just trying to muffle through something or it's some idea of something, but it's, and it's not going well, it's like bashing your head against the wall, it's time to, you know, make a left or right turn from totally that. Totally agree. And so, and so this just felt like, yet again, more confirmation of like, hi, thank you for saving my life. And by the way, uh, how lovely of a gift for her to tell me that. You know, I think, I thought to myself, yeah, I was on House Hunters and, you know, it was, it was fine and, I know that people enjoy the show. It never occurred to me that my voice on the show had the potential to save someone's life. And she chose to tell me that. And we don't know, we don't realize that you could smile at a stranger on the street and that smile prevented that person from killing themselves. You really have no idea what a small amount of positive energy, kindness, and love can do to create a huge ripple effect on the planet. I agree with that. Holding a door open, smiling, saying hello, yes. asking someone how they're doing. Yes, and meaning it, really asking them, how are you, has become like a, a, nothing, a nothing question where people aren't really asking and people aren't really answering. Just saying, how are you, how, how are you really? I mean, it can make all the difference in the world. And so it was just, it, she, she custom made it, she sent it to New York City in plenty of time for the wedding ceremony. It was this beautiful, it turned out that I just realized I wanted just a simple veil and not a pillbox hat because that would have been sort of costumey. And the veil by itself made it seem more like a wedding dress that I was wearing. And it was just, it was just a beautiful, magical experience. And, and so, yeah, so, so the whole thing about you'll never get an Emmy nomination, I'm thinking, well, I sure as heck am not going to take myself out 
of the running just because people are saying you'll never. In fact, people, someone once said to me, you'll never be in a television commercial. It's so competitive. So I proceeded to do 500 of them. And people <laughs> said, you know, oh, you'll never make it in Hollywood because, you know, you're too old or you're too Asian or not Asian enough or you're not pretty enough or you're too flat-chested or blah, blah, blah. But I've made an amazing career for myself because I don't believe in what people say I can't do. I was also told you're too pretty to be a stand-up comic. No one will laugh if you're pretty. So I proceeded to win two awards and be on Comedy Central's Premium Blend and tour nationally, you know, headline across the country. Sometimes the best thing that you could say to me, clearly, is you could never dot, dot, dot. (laughs) I'm thinking, oh, yeah? Just watch me. I think that that's an incredible way to live one's life. I mean, I think about it, too, and I think about, you know, you mentioning that it took maybe three times, the third time with cancer before you made that left turn instead of bashing your head against the wall. And, you know, on social media, we see people who seem to be frustrated or in our regular lives, people who are... Uh, you know, constantly down on themselves and, and nothing's working right. You know, I, I can't find the right guy slash girl or, oh, my job sucks or whatever the, the, the thing is of the day to complain about. Right. And I think that, you know, with that, you have to start looking at stuff. What is it that you're doing that maybe isn't what you're supposed to be doing? For me, as much as I wanted to go to med school and become a doctor, and would have been happy to this day. It, it's never that I would have been unhappy. I think I would have been quite happy. Obviously, whatever it is that folks want to call it, whether they want to call it God, you know, fate, chance, the universe, whatever people feel comfortable in, in calling that, that was not my path. That was not meant for me. And to for me to question whatever that entity is and say, well, no, you're wrong. Who are you to question whatever that entity is. I mean, the entity, the the universe, God knows what is right for you. And you have to accept that, for me anyway, this is my personal opinion, you have to accept that because you don't know everything. Right, and you had to make an actual choice when you were brutally attacked. Did you ever notice that people with extreme hardship that are maybe in a wheelchair and are paralyzed either become the biggest assholes or the most remarkable people yep. ever because because you have to make a choice. Do you know what I mean? You have to choose what you're going to do with this. There is this incredible uh, inspirational speaker named Nick Vujicic who has no arms and no legs. I don't know if you've ever seen him on YouTube. But his, his motto is no arms, no legs, no worries. He is charming. He is funny. He golfs and goes boating. He got married to this beautiful woman. He has a child. I mean... He's just basically, and he goes around uh, talking to kids. Like he, he holds the golf club with his chin under um, under his neck. And I mean, come on, you know, if if he can be like that, I mean, what are we all complaining about? What when I was in the midst of the stage four cancer, it would be so funny if you know somebody I'd see somebody or something on Facebook of like. I have a hangnail and my, my finger hurts and I'd be like, at least you don't have cancer. <laughs> and they go, oh my God. Like, well, yeah, I mean, come on. There's this woman named Immaculate Illibagiza who wrote this brilliant memoir called Left to Tell uh, about surviving the Rwandan genocide. And it's this breathtaking story of how 
she was hiding in an opposing tribe member's uh, house who was a pastor in a bathroom that was three feet by four feet with like seven other women and they had to be silent and they barely had anything to eat or drink for like two months or something like that. And she, while she was in there, she vowed that she was going to uh, escape with her life and she was going to move to the United States and work for the United Nations, right? And while she was in there, she heard on the radio that her entire family had been chopped up with machetes. And she, you know, she was the only one to survive. And when she did finally escape, she tracked down the man who killed her family and she forgave them. Not for his, she forgave him. Not for his sake, but for her own sake. She said she could not live with that blackness of heart. So wow. she forgave him for her own well-being. And it's a story told with... So, and by the way, guess what she did? She moved to New York City, and she worked for the United Nations, and she's got a husband and children, and she, she wrote this book that you must read, and she goes and speaks everywhere about the power of forgiveness, and it's told with, with grace and eloquence and, I mean, just astonishing, right? And she... I think it's not in the book, but I also saw her give a keynote speech where she was talking about starting to work at the United Nations for the first time, and some guy in the cubicle next to her comes over to her and, and says, somebody stole my stapler. My stapler was here yesterday. It is not here today. Somebody stole it. And he's shaking, right? He's red in the face. He's so angry. And so she says to him, may I tell you a story? <laughs> he says, and he says, uh, sure. So she tells him a story. And he says, oh... Never mind about my <laughs> I've done that to people too, though. Ah, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, and I always feel bad after the fact. I'm like, oh my Ooh. god, what a jerk I am. You know, oh, how do you do? But I've done that where people, oh, you know, uh, I, I, my car won't start today. And it's like, yeah. well, let me tell you. Sit back for a minute. Let me tell yeah. you what, what's going on over here. I know. So maybe and the that's... truth is, you know, whatever we think is upsetting us right now, it's not that, no, you know, somebody's pain is more legitimate than somebody else's, but sometimes you just need some perspective. That's very sometimes true. Sometimes you just need a little perspective. <laughs> Never mind about my stapler. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's oh. kind of, what do you do? I mean, you just have to rec recoil and go back to your cubicle and, and never, ever, yeah. ever again mention a stapler, ever. Yeah. Of course, I yeah. if I would if I were her, I would have uh, found a stapler, put a little bow on it, <laughs> put it on his chair. You know what she probably did. She probably bought him ten staplers. <laughs> like, are you are you good now? <laughs> Just to shut him up. Well, Suzanne, I want to thank you so much for taking time out to chat with me. And you know, I believe that there there really isn't necessarily an underdog. People may perceive you as an underdog, but from Hi. listening to you talk and listening to your story. There is no way that you're an underdog. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. And that is going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of Soap Central Live. Thank you so much for taking time away from your barbecues, your cookouts, your fireworks, whatever it is that you do to celebrate the 4th of July and spending the last hour with us. Of course, it goes without saying a special thank you to Suzanne Wong for taking time out to sit down with me and chat about her life. We're going to be back next week, Friday, July 11th, with a live episode of Soap Central Live. I hope that you'll tune in then. 
It's at the same time, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. If you missed any part of today's show or if you'd like to hear it again, maybe share it with a friend, head over to our official website, SoapCentralLive.com. If you'd like to listen to the show on the go, whether it be our live show or any of our more than 230 past episodes, also head over to SoapCentralLive.com. You can download our mobile app and listen to us for free anywhere you'd like. You can also find us on iTunes, search for Soap Central Live. I hope that you will join us next week for the continuing saga that we like to call Soap Central Live. Have a great week, everybody. Join us next time for the continuing story of all your favorite soaps. Tune in next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of Soap Central Live on the Voice America Variety Channel.